Today in our gospel reading from Luke 19, we have this great picture, great example of joyful penance, uh, making satisfaction for sins that have been forgiven. So we have this man, he is, his name is Zacchaeus, he's publicly known as a sinner. People know this, we hear it in the gospel reading. Uh, and yet, uh, this sinner, you know, this, he's head of this uh, tax collection office, he's a chief tax collector, a, uh, an industry, an occupation known especially for corruption and greed. He's known as a public sinner, and he has this encounter with the Lord that radically changes him. And because of this encounter, he joyfully goes to the Lord, comes to the Lord, climbs down out of this tree that he's up in to try to see the Lord. And he says to the Lord, uh, I'm going to go ahead and give half of what I, owe, what, I, what I own to the poor. And if I've uh, defrauded anybody, I'm going to pay him back four times. And how does our Lord respond? What does he say? to uh, Zacchaeus, does he say, oh, oh, hold, hold on there, over-eager buddy, um, just, just a minute, uh, I am going to be dying on the cross pretty soon here, and uh, I'm going to take care of all that for you, you know, I'm going to take the punishments, all these things for your sins, y- you don't need to worry about uh, making any reparations or doing any penances or giving half your money to the poor or, or paying back, you know, folks you've defrauded four times, you don't need to worry about any of that, I'm going to take care of all that for you. No, that's not what he says, right? What he says is that uh, these actions, these penances that Zacchaeus is saying he's going to do are salvific. He says, today salvation has come to this house. I bring this up because there is some confusion around this whole notion of doing penance within the Christian community. Uh, you know, there are those that say, well, wh- why do I need to do penance for sins that have already been forgiven by Christ? You know, didn't his, his crucifixion, you know, what's the purpose for his crucifixion? Is that, is that some sort of a works-based gospel? I have to work my way into heaven by doing these, you know, making up for my sins myself? You know, what about Christ? What, what's, the, what's up with all that? Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of disagreement with, amongst Christians when it comes to this subject. So doing penance... You know, it's for sins that have been forgiven, it's kind of like this, right? So you give your, or your, your friend has a phone that you like, and so you steal it from your friend. And then your conscience begins to prick you, and so you go back to your friend, and you say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I stole your phone. Will you forgive me? So your friend, because he's your friend, he says, yeah, I will forgive you. Uh, but it's not going to end there. He's probably still going to want his phone back. Right? So, and really, if you're fulfilling all of your obligation, you should be paying him for the cost of his phone bill during that time you took the phone and any other costs that he incurred. Uh, maybe he wasn't able to return a work call, you know, and he lost money. Who knows? You owe him all of that. You owe him, you, even though he's forgiven you, you still need to make amends, uh, expiation, satisfaction for the sin that you've done against him. Uh, so, so how does this work exactly when it comes to uh, forgiveness of sins in our Christian lives with the Lord? This is what I want to dig into a little bit 
today. So the church, the Catholic church, teaches that even after your sins have been forgiven, it's God's will. You didn't have to do things this way, but this is how we set it up. It's God's will that you make satisfaction for them. They do penance, that you expiate them, that you make amends for these sins. Because sins, when you do them, you know, you sin against God or you sin against your neighbor, uh, it causes damages. It damages your relationship with God. It damages your relationship with your neighbor. It's kind of like, you know, if you were to be shot with an arrow. So when that arrow is removed, when the, when the uh, arrow of sin is removed, it leaves behind a wound. And that wound, even, even though the sin has been forgiven, that wound needs to be healed. And it's healed through penance, through making amends, through making satisfaction. So there are various different examples of this in the Bible. The classic one that's often brought up is Second uh, Samuel chapter 12. King David sleeps with a guy's wife, gets her pregnant, and then he kills her husband. So God comes to David through the prophet Nathan, and uh, David's repentant. He's sorry for what he's done. So God says, I forgive you. However, even though he's forgiven him, there's still penances, things to expiate, things to work through. And so David is required, uh, these are his, his, his punishments. The child, his child, that someone's pregnant with, is going to die. Uh, his enemy, his enemies are going to sleep with his wives. And uh, the sword is never going to leave his house. That's his penances, his punishments he has to work through. Uh, so even after his sins are forgiven, there's still things he has to uh, satisfy. Right? Another example of this would be Miriam. Miriam rebelled once against her brother, Moses' leadership, and as a result of this, God struck her with leprosy. You can read about that in Numbers 12. Well, Moses is distraught over this. Miriam is his sister. He cares about her. He doesn't want her to have leprosy. And he, he tells the Lord, I've forgiven her. I've forgiven her. Please heal her. Please take this leprosy away. And God says, nope. Uh, she needs to suffer through the shame of this leprosy because of what she's done for seven days. And so she does. Even though Moses has forgiven her, she still has to go through and do this penance for seven days. And then God heals her. Another example uh, was of Moses. So in Numbers 20, uh, Moses sins against God. He strikes this rock in order to bring forth water instead of speaking to it, which is a great offense against God because uh, that rock symbolizes God. So Moses was like striking God. Uh, and so because Moses disobeyed, God gave him a penance to work through. He told Moses that because of your disobedience, you will not physically enter the promised land. So three examples of sins that have been forgiven, that were forgiven, clearly forgiven, and yet there was still penances, still satisfaction that was required of God in the Bible. Now, what happens if you're living your life and you do sins and you get them forgiven? You know, you're in the state of grace, but you die before you've finished uh, the reparations that are required for those sins. Uh, you haven't completed all your penances and you die. What does the Lord do with you at that point? Does he say, oh, well, that's it. Didn't make it. Do not pass go. You're done. No. God in his mercy for us, allows us to finish 
these penances, these expiations, even after death, if you die as a friend of God, if you die in his good graces. Uh, this is what we call purgatory, uh, where you can finish this purification process, healing these wounds of sin, through doing penances after death. Our Lord talked about this, for example, in Matthew 5.25. He said, um, work, out, work things out with your accuser while you're on the way to court, meaning here in this life, before you go before the judge, which will take place at the end of this life. Each of us are going to go before a judge. Uh, he, our Lord's saying, work things out before you get to that judge, because if you don't, the judge is going to throw you into prison and you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. So he's saying it's, it's, it's much better to work things out here in this life, much easier. It's harder in purgatory. It's much more painful, the saints tell us, uh, in purgatory. You want to get things taken care of now. But he says you won't get out until you pay the last penny. So what does he mean by that? Does he mean that the judge is going to send you to hell? Will you be eternally separated from God? Nope, that's not what he's talking about. Because this is a place where you will get out of eventually. He can't possibly be talking about heaven because that's a place that you don't want to get out of. The only place he could possibly be referring to is purgatory. This place where you finish working through uh, this purification process, healing the wounds of sin that you have done in your life. Ideally, you, get, you do it during this life, but if you don't, God in his mercy allows you to take care of it in the next. So this is what the church teaches about doing penances for sins, making satisfaction or amends for sins that you uh, have been forgiven of. Okay? Now, the big concern that uh, people often bring up, uh, the big objection is, you know, doesn't this minimize Christ's work on the cross? Why did Christ have to suffer and die for us? Uh, if I still have to go through and, and this suffering and these amends for my sins, what, what did he do? You know, what, doesn't this disparage Christ's work on the cross? Doesn't this make our salvation into something that's works-based, based on things we need to do? No, it does not. In fact, the doctrine of doing penances actually magnifies Christ's work. It amplifies Christ's work. It puts even more focus and attention on his work. The fathers of the Council of Trent, these bishops, these church leaders that got together in the mid-16th century to clarify the teaching of the church, to respond to the many attacks on the church during this time, said that uh, it's only because of the work of Christ that you can even do penances. If it wasn't for Christ's sacrifice on the cross, then anything that you do would be worthless, would be unhelpful. But it's because of what Christ did that you can uh, make satisfaction for these sins. All these graces, your abilities to do these, all come from Christ come from his sacrifice for us. Uh, you can read about this in the Catechism of the Council of Trent. Uh, the church writes that it's kind of like, like a vine, right? So Christ is the vine, you're the branches, and it's through being connected with Christ, the vine, 
that all these graces flow down to you and to me to allow us to do these penances, to make these amends, to strengthen us, to join with him in his work. It's because you're part of the body of Christ that uh, these penances make any difference. So doing penances point forward to Christ's, they point, they point back, really, they point to Christ's work on the cross. They take away from what he's done? No, absolutely not. They point toward what he's done for us, which allow us to also uh, do penances. This is why we can joyfully uh, offer these sufferings and prayers and good things that you're called to do up to the Lord uh, because of what he's done for us, because we are connected to him in this special way. Uh, it's only because of his work that we can expiate these things, joined with him joyfully. Uh, St. Paul wrote in Colossians 1.24, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I complete what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. St. Paul found great joy in his sufferings, in these penances that he was offering up, because they pointed to Christ's work. They pointed to joining with him in his work for others, which is what we're called to do. So next time you're going through some difficulties in your life, uh, maybe someone says something hurtful to you, your name is disparaged, maybe, maybe you're going through some sickness or health ailment, uh, uh, because of this doctrine of penance, you don't need to be like, oh, why is this happening to me? Why me? I can't understand why I'm going through all this. This is terrible. No. Uh, for us, if you understand the church's teaching on penance, this is a joyful thing uh, because these sins are being expiated because of the work of Christ, because of the graces that he's given to us. We can work through these things joyfully. We can be like Zacchaeus. Think about Zacchaeus when he came down from that tree. And he's like, oh, I got to give away half my money to the poor and I got to pay back anybody that I defrauded four times. Oh, it's terrible. I got no, no. Was was he all mad, frustrated, and angry about this? No, he was joyful about this because the Lord had touched his heart. He was showing forth true repentance. It was life changing for him. This is what uh, our Lord can do for you and for me if you understand His sacrifice, what He did for us, and these graces that flow down through our lives, allowing us to joyfully uh, do his work with him, uh, to accept these penances uh, with great happiness. So this doctrine of penances, expiating sins, uh, you know, making amends, does this mean this is sort of works-based gospel? You're working your way into heaven? No. It's only because of Christ's work, because of what he's done, because of the graces that flow through him into your life, you can even do these things. And so we're grateful for Christ's most abundant, super abundant sacrifice for us. It allows us to experience these graces, to do these penances. Doing penance means that even after sin has been forgiven, uh, there are still work to do. There is damages to be repaired. We see examples of this in the scripture, in the Bible. Moses, uh, Miriam, David. Uh, if you don't get it done, get it done during this life, 
Uh, the Lord in his grace and mercy, good news of the gospel is that you can finish it up in the next. He who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. Uh, even after you died, you've died in his good graces. So does this doctrine, this teaching, minimize Christ's work on the cross? No, absolutely not. It points to it. It's because of it that we can even do penances. And so we joyfully uh, make reparation with our lives, with our prayers, our sufferings, uh, with the good things that we offer up to the Lord, uh, joyfully uh, doing penances that God may be glorified.